welcome to the official podcast channel of the Australian Physiotherapy Association, the latest in clinical, academic and health leadership, giving you access to preeminent physiotherapy research from Australia and across the globe. With health now entering a digital age, health professionals, particularly physiotherapists, need to know how to embrace and excel in this new model of healthcare. A component of this year's APA Business and Leadership Conference to be held in Darwin will address the future models of healthcare in Australia and the key benefits for patients in the e-health model. This podcast brings together world leader and CEO of the Health Informatics Society of Australia, Louise Shaper, talk with physiotherapist and participatory health informatics lecturer and researcher, Mark Moroli, to discuss digital healthcare and how physiotherapists can ensure they have a voice in shaping the changing healthcare model. Join Louise and Mark in Darwin this August. All right, Louise. Well, we have had the chance to catch up and chat um, about digital health, etc., etc. Which I very More, much enjoyed. Which I did too. And it was, for me, as it said to you, uh, sort of a nice way to foreshadow talking together or in the same session at the APA conference coming up end of August in Darwin, which dare say we both need to really start getting into and getting organised for. I'm looking forward to it. Should I pack a swimsuit or... I don't know how much really time I don't know how much time we're going to have, but that <laughs> should be quite nice. I've never been to Darwin, so it'd actually be nice to sort of see a little bit of it. But um, I, I think from the APA's perspective in putting us together to do a podcast, I think it was to have that bit more of a discussion around digital health. Uh, and that's partly why I think when we chatted the first time we caught up, it was really nice to have that conversation learn a bit more about where you've come from, but also um, to talk to a sort of a fellow allied health pundit and going back to your research days yep. and in OT, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in terms of recording something for the APA, I did a similar podcast around technology in physio with Chris, the mm -hmm. CEO of the APA. Um, and given that we're going to be talking together in Darwin, uh, the APA wanted us to have a bit of a chat about digital health, its future. Oh, talking about digital health, what, are you kidding me? Is that, yeah, is that something you might know what to talk ever. about? <laughs> when I had this conversation to talk mm. a little bit about future models of, of healthcare and technology with Chris, I know about the specifics that I talked about uh, in terms of what I've been noticing coming from my clinical practice background in physio, but it would actually probably be nice to hear some of it um, from you as the CEO of Heiser. Um, I know, as I said to you when we caught up, having done my chair recently, certification, um, that it opens your mind up to so many different aspects of the digital health landscape and where health informatics fits into it. Um, but maybe, I, I mean, I, I said to Chris that obviously we're seeing much more around telehealth and teleconsults, use of social media, which is obviously where I'm a bit more well-versed in, um, apps, etc., etc., but... Maybe from your perspective, like, you could give us a bit more of an idea of where you see that future yep. of healthcare going, digital health, and what that model might look like. Yeah, okay. And look, I thought I would turn that question on its head. Yeah, that's So good. instead of, okay, because then we'll get there in the end. But if we turn it on its head and look at, all right, so let's say it is already 2030 and we're looking back yep. at 2016. 
And, you know, some of the listeners to the podcast, there'll be parents then and they're not now, you know, and they're, and they're explaining to their kids what it used to be like back in the old days. Well, what does healthcare look like now? And it hasn't changed a hell of a lot since... Uh, there's a great Florence Nightingale quote, actually, um, that I sometimes use in my presentations. I won't use it for this one because I'll ruin the surprise now. But uh-huh. Florence, um, I sort of usually put it up in my slide deck and say, all right, you know, who do you think might have said this? And, and uh, what ends up happening is no one guesses that it's Florence Nightingale. And she's got a quote and it effectively says she's been searching around the hospital looking for any sorts of information that she can use as a basis for comparison and she can't find anything worthwhile and you know we still have that situation today so by flipping it on its head it's like well what what does healthcare look like now and and, you know when we're hopefully it's changed a hell of a lot by 2030 and when we're telling our kids about it back at what it used to be in the old days so at the moment, and it's been that situation for a while, we expect patients, usually at their most vulnerable time of life, um, or they're, they're stressed, there's someone else they know is sick, but we ask them to go to a big healthcare centre on the hill. We effectively ask them to go to Mecca. And we why do we do that? Well, yes, they might need actual clinical care, um, but we also do it a lot of the time just to get access to information. We take some um, parameters about their healthcare yep. um, and we measure that data while they're there. Um, what else do we do? We have to use big, huge, and ridiculously expensive radiology-type devices. Yep. Yep. So Which is still one of the most expensive yeah, facets of... Absolutely. I mean, a lot of... It's sidetrack, but a lot yeah. of hospitals can't even actually budget for maintenance on those things as you know, a replacement like Correct. we have to do with computers or something because it's so expensive. Um, and so what else do we do? We manufacture drugs... One drug for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So you're starting to get into that more precision medicine sort of stuff? That's right. So just on those three aspects alone, um, what about in 2030, and we say what we're moving to is a world where we're not expecting patients to travel um, for every single little thing that they might need done because at that that time of life, and I actually think within the next five years, we will be collecting the majority of clinically valuable data all the time. Yeah, remotely, always <laughs> remotely. on devices. So, yes. so for physios, we say health professionals, and mm. you and me like to talk about allied health and clinical informatics, and yeah. maybe we'll talk a bit more about that, but maybe for the physio audience specifically that uh, have an interest in technology or know that they should have an interest and decide to listen to this podcast, <laughs> in terms of, like you just said, then um, we're going to be collecting data that, you know, from always sort of on situations and not necessarily have to have them travel yeah. to do that. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, some of those things that are going to be more specific to physiotherapists. Yeah, I can give you one So, yeah, do you want to give us an example? Okay, so the idea of smart fabrics. So we, um, you know, well, I won't describe for the listeners at home uh, what Mark and I are wearing, but we're wearing normal sort of <laughs> normal everyday clothes, clothes right? Um, we're not, we work, don't yeah. look like cyborgs. Um, right. And so in the future as well, and this is not 2030, this is already um, now being trialled, yep. you wear normal everyday clothing, um, but, you know, every every... Every, there's fibres embedded throughout the fabric yep. that are basically smart fabrics, fa- yep. smart fibres that are actually conduct electrical signals and other things. And so basically you can, that pair of socks that you're wearing could actually be measuring things about your gait. 
And so think about it as for a physiotherapist, you've got two clients, you've got your elite athlete that, you know, is competing to get into the Olympics, let's say. Um, and then you've got your uh, elderly grandmother, um, you know, living in a nursing home or maybe she's living on her own. Um, and we all know how, so we know what the athlete wants to accomplish to be even yeah. better at his or her field. Um, and then for the elderly person, we're just trying to stop them from falling over because yeah. if you fall over, you know... And again, the that. technology and ageing is sort of also something that's started to become really big. Yeah, that's know? right. But if you look at those two clients in how we treat people today, yeah. you can think of two different clients. Like you've got someone old, frail, yeah. um, and then you've got someone who's at the elite of their profession. But if both of these people had the exact same socks on, so they're wearing these smart socks, and what the socks do is it measures um, gait very, very precisely. Yeah. So it measures um, all sorts of things, pressure, it measures um, um, ex- ex- acceleration yep. and, um, and a bunch of other things. It could measure um, temperature as well. So if we actually want to really improve that athlete's performance or we want to um, help somebody from you know, pr- getting them in a situation where they're less likely to fall, there's a bunch of things that we would do now, and I, certainly, I won't go into that now, but... If you're wearing these smart socks, they're just going about their normal daily activities yep. as normal. And there's computers measuring all remotely, all, you know, um, obviously you need privacy protocols And just and collecting all that data. It's collecting all of that data. And you would be able to see, the computer algorithms will be able to see the changes in gait patterns for both of those two clients way before the human eye could ever... Well, from a physio perspective, and that's what I mean, like, we've already sort of seen great advancements in just in terms of some of the clinical technology that we can see, and we won't go into specific companies because this isn't an endorsement of of specific products. This is the ABC, yes. Correct. (laughs) But, you know, we're we're seeing in in clinical environments, whether that be hospitals um, or private clinics, you know, the sort of use of attachable sort of sensors to, like you said, I mean, similar scenario capture some of that thermostatic resistance, um, EMG, muscular activity type of, you know, um, conductivity, but also, um, you know, using more widely available devices such as, you know, Xbox Connects and Mm -hmm. Nintendo Wii's and actually just to sort of see people moving on a screen and calculate that sort of a data. So it's good to see that there's that application already. Um, I've definitely noticed some physios and and tech up companies starting to get more and more involved in sort of embeddable sensors in gait aids, etc. So it's not necessarily just the the wearable clothes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but I guess the one question I probably get asked by, and I want to probably go in two directions here. Yep. One by physios is that you know the whole idea of time and clinical necessity, but mm. possibly at the moment the argument might still be made for. I mean. We're probably looking 2030, so it's probably less of an issue if we look that <laughs> far scary ahead. For people Correct. But if, yeah. if we were to sort of say at the moment, smart clothing, could we argue that in terms of its accessibility, it might still be that technology is a little expensive? Well, certainly now. I mean, a lot of yeah. it is still being developed in research labs and um, and not commercially available. Um, a lot of the, the sort of smart things that are, are commercially available aren't medical grade. So that causes a problem right now. So while, um, you know, this audience will certainly know about Fitbits and, and Jawbones, although they've gone they've gone out of business. Well, they've got a different focus. Anyway, but, you know, all of those, yeah. those things that you can wear, um, they're not um, medical grade right now. Correct. But it won't be too long before... 
all of these types of technologies will be medical grade. And so you won't just get a prescription for, like at the moment you'd get a prescription for a pill for pain. Um, here's some pieces of paper that show some exercises. I'm going to show you how to do them. I want you to go home and do them. Come back and see me in two weeks. Client comes back in two weeks and they haven't bloody done their exercises, of course. I mean, we all love that as clinicians, yeah. don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. And, and this is why, like, um, in terms of, you know, maybe the sort of vague sort of structure we're going to take for our chat... Um, I wanted to jump back to what we talked about when we caught up and had this sort of first discussion about all this and sharing similar backgrounds and those interests. Um, we started to dip into clinical informatics a little bit more. Um, and physios, similar obviously to OTs, I think at the end of the day are most interested in their patient outcomes and delivering yeah. a, a reputable, safe um, and efficacious treatment, so to speak. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, you just sort of said it in the sense that, you know, medical grade. Um, but can we maybe even just have a quick chat about where, you know, the physio or, again, allied health professional mm -hmm. could start to play a bit more of a role in increasing the quality and outputs of these sort of technologies, maybe their design. We talked a bit more about that necessity to have allied health professionals in a clinical informatics mm -hmm. sort of you know, facing role. Yeah. Can we, you know, maybe touch on that yeah. a little bit and how, like, say, physios, because we're talking about physios specifically, um, could start to play more of a role in improving and getting us to that 2030 mark where we're making meaningful use of the data, the design's better, they're safer. Just touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Look, and clinical informatics is really... If, it's got the word clinical in it, so it's usually for people who are clinically trained, um, as, as we both uh, we are, Mark. So, but clinical informatics is really about making sure that the information that is collected, whether it is from a smart device or yeah. it's just in your computer system that you're manually typing into, but whatever information you're collecting is actually valuable to you as the clinician and valuable to, to the patient as well in terms yeah. of, you know, none of us are actually... No one's bloody got the time to um, mess around with any type of technology that isn't well designed, that actually isn't going to improve things for the clinician or for the patient. Um, and so there is actually clinical informatics, and, and hence what I do for a living is all about... Well, we're here at Heiser, so that's why I thought well, we yeah. can't really talk about it and not talk about informatics no, no. in some shape or form, because I think there's a lot of, I think, yeah, health practising health professionals that kind of see what they do and technology as, as a bridge, or a bridge yeah. too far. Yeah, yeah. And hence like, the work that you and I, in a way, are trying to do... Um, in that, you know, field of bringing the practical healthcare knowledge and experience and data management and information to change those outcomes, so to speak, or design of the it products, really like is. Um, actually, I saw an article today um, by the AMA, I think he's president of the, you know, in the United States, though, um, I think all... Western countries have an AMA, so I'll just preface it's the US. The US. And he called digital health innovation as being this year's, um, this um, this century's uh, snake oil salesman. And so yeah, well, got, okay. Yeah, he got my attention. And and I had a look at what he had to say, and at first he's like, this is all bad, and, oh, you know, technology just wastes our time as doctors. And I'm thinking, God, I know a lot of clinicians in the AMA, and the AMA have actually got set up a division in This Is The United States. Yeah. They set up a division of the AMA, which is all about digital innovation entrepreneurs and startups and he's still calling with AMA. Snake, snake and I was oil. thinking, does, has he not looked at his minutes from the last meeting? Anyway, but so but as I kept reading the article,
article, he went on from the snake oil thing um, to actually say that what we all know as clinicians, what we don't like as clinicians, whether you're a physio um, or a, a doctor, is poorly designed technology Correct. that does waste your time, yeah. that actually adds to yeah. you know the burden of what you have to do all day. Most clinicians I know who are in informatics, the reason they get involved, like me, they've never even usually heard the term. You discover it by Well, I'd, I'd, we talked about this and yeah. I hadn't when I started. No, neither my right. I started know, a here we both, here we both are. Well, there you go. <laughs> I had no exactly. idea. So. I still remember Googling and finding it and I was like, yeah. oh, shit, they're my people. This is great. And um, But look, why people are like us are attracted to that is because, and it's a common statistic, that clinicians, especially in hospital settings, will waste 30% of their shift. That's 30% of your working life. Yeah wasted in looking for information, in yeah. looking for stuff, just so that you can make the best clinical care decisions that you can. And I actually think it's ridiculously unethical that as a healthcare system on a ho as a whole, that we, it's 2016 and we still um, work in a system that doesn't allow, doesn't give clinicians the right tools they need to do their job. And if you want to change that and get involved, and, and do your best to sort of yeah, essentially educate yourself in the field. And, you know, and, and that's what I mean. I think it's funny because, you know, coming from, I guess, these days heading into much more of a sort of research and into that digital health field as opposed to clinical mm -hmm. practice, which is, I guess, just the reality, the way it's heading for me in education, etc. Yeah, you, you kind of, you've come from such a background where technology is sort of a dirty word in a way. Um, you're starting to realise more and more, though, that it's you know that beast that's sort of running out of control, and yes, it's harder and like harder it to keep up. Mm. But then at the same time, like you said, and, and this is what really resonated, I think, and why I'm sort of so interested in in pursuing that idea of clinical informatics and having allied health professionals and physios really step up to understand um, the sort of intricacies of e-health and digital intervention designs and knowledge management, et cetera, et cetera, because they're the ones with that expertise of delivering healthcare yeah. and interventions and changing patient outcomes. Um, that was, you know, the motivation for me doing a PhD in the area because it was how do we understand the patient outcomes so that we can, you know, change all that. Um, and so much of what we, you know, come across, and whether that be patient management systems, decision support, and I'm probably talking more for physios, mm -hmm. but we're starting to see so many more apps, you know, patient management apps, mm. that's kind of the current thing now, and these sensor, sensor monitoring technologies and all of that, but, you know, how many of them were designed with the input of the health professional or the patient who wants to be a oh, yeah. active, shared decision maker in their own care, so... You know, I think that's certainly one thing that I'd like to sort of see more and more of these technological innovations involve yeah. patients and practitioners. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I what got me interested in this. I loved um, studying occupational therapy. Yeah. And I still, to this day, just am so grateful I made those choices, even though my dad is not happy because he doesn't understand <laughs> why I don't work as an occupational therapist. Why did I my... pay for that degree? <laughs> anyway. Mine, mine thinks that I work at Melbourne Uni, that I'm still a student. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I got that when I was at uni as well. <laughs> why do we pay for you to go to uni again? Yeah. Anyway, but, um, look, that's why I got interested in this because um, look, there are uh, there are enough fantastic clinicians and I, I, I didn't 
didn't actually have a plan. I had an interest. Yeah. And I just followed that interest and um, and then after so many years realised, okay, I can probably get rid of those OT textbooks now because I won't ever practice clinically um, <laughs> again. But um, but I, I want to see more um, clinical voices and physiotherapists especially as part of this. One of the great things that I find um, that, that I'm so grateful for that I was trained as an allied health therapist is we are ridiculously good at solving problems. Yeah. We well, that's really what it's all are. About. That's what problem we're solving. Taught. Yeah. And we're taught about, you know, we don't see the patient as, oh, you're the you're the over like um actually I was at the hospital across the road last week and I heard um, someone telling me a story that they heard a group of patients being referred to as the ovarians and it's um so they're the people with ovarian cancer. Wow. So they're the ovarians. Okay. And like, you know, that sort of idea from an allied health perspective is like we recognise it and we can sort of laugh it off if we need to because it's so ridiculous and so we're taught to see people in a holistic and not just a holistic perspective from the body but also from a holistic perspective in terms of the body in their environment and what's important to them you know um maybe you work with uh two groups of people who both have a similar disability i know actually i did and i um there was one guy who was incredibly intellectual so he didn't really give a about having like wanting to do all the ADL stuff himself, he just wanted someone else to dress him because it would took to, way too long, too long for him to do it himself. Yeah. Um, and so, and get him dressed, get him fed, and so he could sit in front of the computer and he wrote and he was writing websites for disability access at a time when hardly anybody was doing that. Um, I worked for someone else who was in the building next yeah, door well. who that that those ADLs were incredibly important, and I yeah. would work with them for two hours, getting yeah. dressed and going through those morning routines because that was what was important to them. Yeah. And so, if you look at the the role that technology, whether we like it or not, but the fantastic role that technology can and will continue to play in enabling um, people to enable themselves. Yeah. That's what we should be doing as we be fo- and, and that kind of can foreshadow what I wanted to sort of just touch on, which was, so that like that being said, I mean, clearly maybe a biased opinion coming from clinical backgrounds, and we'll say mm-hmm. clinician first, technologist sort of second. Absolutely. And I, I think having that clinical background is certainly what then helps you you know, or puts you in good stead to understand the unique needs of clinical healthcare and workflows and patient needs, etc. So I guess if we're having that conversation and there are physios out there listening to this that recognise the technology is important, see its potential. We talked about the uh, the practice model of 2030 and the APA produced the in practice and in public 2025 reports which covered a lot of this and mm-hmm. technology is a key driver. Um, what advice maybe specifically can we give physios? Uh, and oh, look, we could probably say allied health in general, yeah, yeah. but could we give physios um, that want to get more involved in digital health? Yeah, and look, it depends on that level of interest. I would hope that if you just put your toe in the water, well, yeah. a lot of you will go, oh, maybe that, I'm not sure if this is for me, so yeah. I'll just do this in a small way. But some of you will get really excited about it, as clearly Mark and And go idea. crazy, yeah. And that's exactly, <laughs> what, I, that's exactly, no, that's exactly what I said to Chris yeah, yeah. When, um, when I had a chat with him about all this. And I think I said a similar thing in the sense that, um, yeah, start dipping your toes in, which is a pretty obvious one. Um, I suggested that, yeah, you, depending on your level of interest, expertise, literacy, digital literacy, if you want to call it that, mm. you don't need to just go headlong and do a PhD and change your career and go into <laughs> health informatics, digital health. But um, I did say to Chris that I thought, you know, sort of basic education and starting to almost 
get along to some digital health expos and conferences. Mm-hmm. I'll plug it. It sounds uh, okay if I do it, <laughs> not you. But, you know, conferences like HIC are a perfect example. Go along to non-physio-specific PD so you can start to learn mm-hmm. what's going on. But even just getting yourself informed through whether it be websites and different social media channels, you can start to absorb some of that information and learn and, you know, almost in that more passive absorbing well, sort right. of role. I mean, even the fact that, you know, this is now going to be, I believe, APA's second podcast on, on digital health yeah, and, and topics, in, which is sort of a relatively short period of time. Yeah, yeah, which... and then there's the conference stream as well. Exactly. So, so, you know, so it's great that the APA are actually recognising this is an important thing to cover because I, I get it's a competitive landscape. It really is. Um, which is why none of this stuff is taught at an undergraduate level predominantly. Which I'm hoping which, to change as yeah, well. But we that's a big are. passion of mine going forward from this in terms of having been involved in physio education at that level, um, I'd love to see. We are, we definitely are. I gave a lecture not long ago in the Melbourne Uni program on the for the final year students in their leadership and management, talking a bit about technology and social media, the internet, which is only one facet of everything. But mm-hmm. they're not talks that lectures that I could have hoped to have got when I went through, and that was ten years ago. Um, so we're definitely starting to see it filter through but obviously it needs to happen at a sort of grander scale. Well, that's right. But, I mean, the associations are, do play a really important key role. So, you know, a HISA, we're a member organisation as well, but we recognise that the majority of our members, like probably 80 85% of them, HISA is number two in their choice. You know, if they're looking, if they're having a tough year financially and they're like, oh, which what place do I, you know, do I can I remain to keep my memberships current with all of these. We know we're number two for most. Um, and that's because most people train as a clinician first. You're not yeah. going to leave the physiotherapy yeah. association. That's not you know, necessarily going to change. And, no, and you sh- it shouldn't as well. So that level of digital health, um, you know, um, uh, exposure, I guess, it's really important that the associations do take a lead on that. Um, but then for organ- for individuals that are more interested, um, then, yeah, I mean, that's why... And Heiser's been around since 1992, which is really awesome because that's not just before social media, that's before the internet. That's before, yeah. So before the internet, and I believe it was mostly doctors and nurses, but a group of clinicians got together and thought, I think there's something to this computers in healthcare stuff. And, and in 1992, get... for the 20-year-olds who think that sounds like so ancient, like well, it is it, actually. It, it really is ancient in terms of computers. I think I had computer. I'm, I'm not you know, a personal I'm... computer at home. I mean, that was yeah. Insane. I was going to say I'm, I'm sort of that school that uh, had computer class at school, but um... you didn't have your own computer. I think it was like a lab with like five computers and they were the Apple Macs with green and black screens. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. and you could play Carmen, Where in the World is Carmen? Yeah, Saturday. that's right. <laughs> yeah. So there, there, are, there are ways to get involved through your association, through organisations like Kaiser, um, and, and that's self-learning as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I'm actually, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the APA conference is not just to giving the talk myself, but to chatting as many physiotherapists as I as, as want to give me some air time because I've yeah. got a lot of questions for them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what problems do they have? Where do they see this happening? Yeah. What Have they t- put their foot in the water and had a bad experience? What what, could, what do they want to tell me about that? Mm. How can we help? Um, because whether we like it or not, this is the way of the future and it offers a lot of opportunities for us as clinicians. I think you'll find like pleasantly surprised, I think, in Darwin in that uh, having been fortunate enough to obviously be really involved and um, with the APA in terms of digital health, especially the last few years, 
and seeing the APA really move with it as well and recognise its importance and membership interest and its role mm. that you know, digital is having on healthcare into this model of the future. Um, I think the last three probably or so conferences have been testament to it all when we started with the sort of business education leadership symposium 2014, which was in Cairns, starting with some social media workshops and... Do you have all um, your conferences like in the northern hemisphere? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to ask the, we'll have to ask the, we'll have to ask the APA about that. But <laughs> actually, last year was uh, the Gold Coast, and that was the larger association-wide one. But we kind of went from social media standalone in 2014 to social media plus. Um, I think I gave a talk on sort of e-health in general, um, and then all of a sudden this year having the CEO of Pfizer there. So it's sort of I think there's that recognition that this is becoming more and more, and I think you will find that there'll be a lot of physios drawn to wanting to have a chat with you because people are getting more and more interested in this space. Um, and again, hopefully beyond this year, it turns into something yeah. even more. Well, I look forward to that. And look, as in another thing that happened recently, so there was a, a hack. And um, if you don't know what a hack is... A yeah, hack maybe let everyone know, know what a hack is. Let everyone else know what a hack is. Sorry. For the listeners at home, a hack, which actually... People freak out in government and in healthcare when you yeah. talk about hack. But the idea of is is that you get groups of people working together. Or to a hackathon. Solve. Yes, a hackathon. And um, we're running one of those too, actually, yeah. which is heaps of fun. But how they work is you effectively get groups of people together, and in the space of 48 hours, they try to hack together a yep. solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, and as I said, we are running one of those, and we ran one last year, and it was so good. And, and we try to have clinicians actually, you know, standing up front saying, all right, well, in my practice, this yep. is a problem that I have as a you know as a business owner or as a clinician, yep. or this is a problem that some of my patients have, and, and I've been thinking about maybe this could work, but I don't know how to develop an app. So how does that work? And um, and really, I don't know too much about marketing. So if there's anyone in the audience, so basically you do a pitch, and yep. if anyone in the audience is interested in my problem, then you know come talk to me, and then the next person gets up and pitches there. And that audience is going to be made up of other clinicians, but. Health IT yes, specialists, yeah, so as well. putting all those different backgrounds really into one room. Yeah, 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 and then they you just go, oh, well, I like that idea. I'll go work on that project, and then for forty-eight hours, um, you try Do they get to, build to sleep something. off the um, Well, <laughs> uh, the one that we run, yes, because it's run by a woman, and uh, we make sure people sleep and that they shower and go home. I've been in other ones. Should be more human. Like, hmm, okay. Not sure. I think there's too much beer and pizza being yeah, consumed. Okay. But uh, anyway, so but there was a hack run recently that um, a colleague of mine attended, and he rang me during the lunch break to say, look, I'm. Sorry, it was a weekend, and he said, I'm so sorry, but I just have to ring you to tell I just can't believe the conversation I just yeah. had with someone. And he pointed out that he was there representing health, and he works for me, and he knows a lot about digital health, and he's a certified informatician, mm. but he, he's not a health, he's not clinically trained, he's not a health person, yeah. he's, he's more technical. Anyway, so he's pointing out, uh, guys, you need some clinicians in the room? Yeah, like, I know. You know, like, like yeah. the idea of doing product development without your stakeholders, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he pointed this out, in, and I'm sure in a very nice diplomatic fashion, and he was told in no uncertain terms that, no. Nah, you guys in healthcare have had your chance. I think we've had. We, yeah. You and me might have touched on something similar uh, yeah, to this. You, when you we've guys have before. had your chance, and you know, and you're stuffing everything up, and you're not making any changes. Healthcare is still so broken. So we're we're, we're taking over. We're taking over now. Us, the technologists, we're taking over. Yeah. And of course, like we can laugh about that because it's ridiculous. Well, and that feeds into everything we've just talked but about, really. That's that what necessity will for the health professional, and that's yeah. the danger, and and yeah. maybe why because that will happen if if physios don't put up their hands. Yeah. 
and hey, I'm yeah. interested. I want to get involved. I'm not sure. So it's kind of just adding that extra layer of you know depth, really, to what we were saying before about mm. physios having to get involved and what they can do to start getting involved. But if yeah, if physiotherapists, you know, I guess just reiterating, want to see this future perpetuate safely, effectively, and have a say in it, mm. they've got to you know not necessarily embrace it and be super enthusiastic, but you know, understand that it's going on and start to, you know, slowly, slowly, well, like you said, wade in and, and get involved in the conversation. Yeah. Um, I think we've run out of time slowly. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, it's gone quite quick. Um, but I thought maybe just as we finish up, um, and hopefully it's a good opportunity again for us to keep this, whether it be you or me and everybody, keep this going into Darwin, mm-hmm. and hopefully it turns Darwin into a really enthusiastic and engaging digital health session. But maybe to finish off, if we just sort of say, okay, we talked about physio healthcare 2030, and what do we say? The smart shirts and the data being captured at the yep. point of not necessarily having to come into the treatment room, debatable, but we'll go there. If we jump back and say it is actually still 2016, mm-hmm. and we've got 13, 14, 15 years in between there, maybe to finish off the podcast, what could we say is that intermediate step that's actually going to get us from today, real life today, to the imaginary soon-to-be 2030. Um, Yeah, sure. And look, one of the easiest... And we'll finish it with that, maybe. Yeah, look, it's not as sexy, but um, it's making sure that you're not recording all of your patient-related data um, on bits of paper. Well, there you go. That's probably a nice way to finish, maybe. That is a really basic thing to do. And actually, one of the first um, organisations I ever worked with, and it was actually part of my PhD, is um, I was looking for an organisation that was um, making the move to digital. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of Paperlite. Uh, Yes. And I worked with them, and they were a group of allied, um, so there was psych, and um, it was a paediatric place. And anyway, it was a great time, and I learned a lot from those guys. But you know what? They didn't have any fans. You know, clinical information system that reported yeah. back to the doctor yeah. or anything. What I mean, they wanted that, but at the time they didn't have. Um, that just sort of wasn't available. So you know what? They were just they were just getting a network and to make sure that instead of um, having a USB to sit on a different computer, they um, they were all networked and they had a shared network in their office um, and that they could email reports to you know WorkSafe or wherever it might be. Um, so just that level, and I know that sounds really basic. And, and um, but it's so important because well, if, if you're be not a, digital a session already, in itself. <laughs> it really is, yeah, yeah. But you know, if you're not digital already, like one of the things that the Physiotherapy Association would say, um, I'm putting words into their mouth, so maybe not. But is like the, there's been um, the government's personally controlled electronic health record that's been around for a long time. Yeah, now now it's been rebadged to my my health record. Okay. Um, but one of the big problems that us in Allied Health have been saying for years is that. Um, there wasn't a portal, and I believe there still isn't, where you can go in and actually, you know, not just see the information but contribute to it as your role as a clinician. And we kept saying year after year... This is needed because, yes, GPs do have systems already, um, or 98% of them do. So if it's integrated, that's great for them. But what about us? What about us? You know, and yeah. I just find, and it really annoys me, so I'm trying to limit my swearing on the podcast. Um, so it really no, frustrates, no, no, no. frustrates and annoys me. Yeah, I don't want too many bleeps. Um, <laughs> yeah. But just how allied pauses. health is almost, it's like sometimes we're at the bottom of the food chain. Well, yeah, it is. That's and true. it's ridiculous. Mm. When um, allied health is often the, per- the, the group of 
group professionals who spend the most time with clients and understand their needs more than anyone. And so if we're not connected into an electronic health system, whether it's the government's or it's others, because we don't have systems ourselves and we record everything on paper, um, then again, we're just starting off from the back foot already. And, you know, that's not good enough. Well, I think members listening to this will be happy to hear that, uh, certainly because we're all, you know, physiotherapists are very passionate primary care practitioners um, and hopefully also happy to know that that's something that physios and the association is starting to get more and more involved in. Myself mm-hmm. and Chris, CEO of the APA, are involved on a bit of a constant consultatory steering committee for you know allied health, physio allied health needs in the MyHR system and so I think physios would be really happy to hear you say that, that, you know, that they need to sort of take on that role to be involved in the patient's you know, digital health record. But also maybe heed your warning that they need to slowly start if they're not already considering going paper light to start, you know, making things, you know, more easier for the future. So yeah, to, and so, easier for themselves as well. There's always a learning yeah. curve if you're not used to using It's going to take time, like, but hopefully, right. and as I said, this just but, becomes part of a wider discussion and as I said, this could be... You know, electronic health records yeah. could open Pandora's box here and it could oh. actually be a talk of its own. But obviously, yeah. you know, from the API's perspective, um, again, we can add this to the bank of technology-related podcasting and, and information for physios, and I think everyone will hopefully would appreciate yeah. to have heard it from you, not necessarily well, from so. me. Yeah, um, actually, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, no, no. I no. to say one more thing. I'm going to take this over time. Do it. Sorry, podcast land. <laughs> but look, one of the clinicians I spoke to uh, recently said that, um, that since going digital in her practice, in private practice, was um, she said, my husband's so much happier. And I'm like, wasn't what I was expecting. Okay, do you clear it? Why is your husband happy? Because if you think about the pain in the ass part bit about you know moving to technology if you haven't done it before, and um, she said her husband's happier because she said because she said I see my clients. I'm typing up some information when I see them. The moment they leave, I can quickly put that information together and put the report together as you know the the, the form back to their school or you know back to their doctor or whatever. Can go straight you know. out. Write the report. It's pretty much done. I don't have to do too much to it. So she said, when I go home now, I'm just there for my family. She said, what used to happen until she got off the paper... Which I think is something a lot of physios would, could yeah, empathise She would spend with. all night, well, you know, like you try and be a good wife, you know, notes. put the kids to bed, read them a story, that yeah. sort of stuff. And then you're up late at night doing report writing and no one's paying you for that either. No, that's So a... I thought her story was might be a good one to end oh, on. Oh, good way to end? Something to inspire right, well, Happy marriages. <laughs> people could come and find you and uh, debate this with yeah. you in Darwin. Right. Um, but... Yeah, look, hopefully we get a few people come along to the joint session. We're going to maybe rehash elements of this and practical examples. I don't know. Um, you and I will talk a bit more about that. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see everyone in Darwin. And I think the APA members will appreciate having heard. They've heard enough from me. But they'll appreciate it <laughs> having heard from you. So it's good to chat again. Oh, thanks, Mark. And thanks, uh, thanks podcast. A- thanks, APA. See and you in members. Darwin. That's it. To find out more, visit physiotherapy.asn.au.